Chapter 20 The Appeal to Students Mr. Gladstone was once asked what the leading question in England was at that time. He replied that there was but one leading question at that time, or at any time, and that was the question of one's relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. He then went on to say that the most intelligent men were those who paid the most attention to this subject. I have known personally all the men who have been prominent in England during the last fifty years, in business, politics, or literature, and of the sixty most prominent men, fifty-four have been professing Christians. If Mr. Gladstone was right, and one's relation to Christ is the leading question that confronts a student, he must settle it early. Indeed, this question lies at the basis of all education. What is the real object of education? It is to increase one's capacity to know God and to make Him known to others. This is what education is for, what life is for. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. 1. The keenest delight of which we are capable comes to us from knowing God. When the devout astronomer Kepler made his great discovery, he exclaimed, O God, I think thy thoughts after thee. There is no greater joy than this unless it is seeing God's character reproduced in our lives. If this is true, then education is not optional but imperative. We are bound to cultivate every talent we possess because each is an avenue through which God can reveal Himself to us. We are bound to open every window of our soul towards Jerusalem and let in the light of God's glorious truth. No wonder the great teacher said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Young people have souls as well as minds, and the one needs training quite as much as the other. It is possible to develop the mind at the expense of the soul and to leave the spiritual nature in a dwarfed and stunted condition. Indeed, is it not possible for a student to go forth with a well-trained mind and irreproachable morals and still fall far short of being a whole man because he does not know God? Having no hope and without God in the world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. The Greek student does not need to be told that without God means atheist. 2. The superior advantages students enjoy make it doubly important that they become acquainted early with the Lord Jesus. Education enlarges one's capacity to see, foresee, do, and undo. It multiplies his influence and thus increases his responsibility since the welfare of others depends upon his action and attitude. No educated person can possibly live a Christless life without leading others to do the same this consideration should have great weight. A professor in a large military school recently told the writer that it was the thought of his influence with the boys that led him to decide for God and put himself on record as a Christian. 3. Again, the peculiar temptations that confront a student make an acquaintance with Jesus indispensable. Among these may be mentioned a. The freedom from home restraint the strong, steadying hand of the father and the indescribable influence of the mother is lacking. There is no younger brother or sister to be considered, not even the restraining influence of someone else's sister. The consequence is that one grows selfish and thinks that 
all the world was made for him. B. The petty vices which prevail so commonly among students. By the side of the writer in college sat the valedictorian of the class. He was a well-disposed man, but he had no religious principles. When others drank, he was not strong enough to refuse. After graduation, he studied law and became one of the most brilliant and promising lawyers in the state. Temptations now grew stronger and more frequent. Having no acquaintance with him, able also to save forever, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, and able to keep you from stumbling, Jude verse 24, he soon lost his standing and business and died a common drunkard. C. Not the least of the dangers that confront a student is the temptation to doubt. He lives in an atmosphere of inquiry and criticism. Old theories are being laid aside, and new facts are constantly being discovered. Possibly, he sees some of his instructors, for whose ability he has the highest respect, utterly indifferent to the claims of the gospel. Literature is full of covert sneers at religion. He is just at the age when his critical faculties are being developed, and he begins to question everything that he once believed. Add to this the natural willingness of the heart to have it so, and you have a combination of circumstances calculated to shake the strongest faith. Some indeed think it a sign of superior intellect to doubt, but this is a mistake. It is sometimes a sign of spiritual blindness, and often of moral obliquity. A large part of the skepticism of students is of the heart rather than of the head. 4. Without Christ, you can never have a satisfactory philosophy of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? These are questions that will forever remain answerable. Life will be an enigma, and doubts will darken your dying hour. Become acquainted with Christ and doubts begin to disappear. You see what kind of a man you really are, and in the person of Christ you see what you ought to be. You also discover how this change is to be wrought, through Christ's death for you on the cross and the reproduction of His life in you by the Holy Spirit. This is no dream or fiction, but a blessed reality, and he who commits the keeping of his life to the Lord Jesus will soon find it so. 5. Without Christ you can never do your best work. You have insatiable cravings that no one can satisfy but the Lord Jesus. You have a fund of energy that no one can control, doubts that no one can dispel, and powers of usefulness that no one can develop so well as the Savior. Jesus Christ is as indispensable to a thinking man as sunshine to a flower. Consider, too, the inconsistency of searching all creation for facts and yet ignoring the greatest fact in the world's history. Christ died and rose again. This alone, the best attested fact in history, makes the appeal to become a Christian supremely rational. If you refuse the appeal, it devolves on you to give the reason why. 6. One's capacity to know God weakens by disuse and may be utterly lost. Charles Darwin said in his early life, I believe God will reveal Himself to every individual soul, and my most passionate desire is a deeper and clearer vision of God, but one can easily lose all belief in the spiritual by giving up the continual thought and care for spiritual things. Near the end of his life, he said, In my younger days I was deeply religious. 
but I made my mind a kind of machine for grinding out general laws in the material world, and my spiritual nature atrophied. His last days were clouded with sadness and spiritual gloom. J. Douglas Adam, of New York, said at a Northfield conference a few years ago, A friend of mine was once on a parliamentary commission with Professor T. H. Huxley. They happened to stay at a little country inn over Sunday. Huxley said to my friend, I suppose you are going to church this morning? I am, I always go to church. I know you do, said Huxley. But suppose this morning you sit down and talk with me about religion. Simple, experimental religion. I will, said my friend, if you mean it. They sat down together, and my friend, out of a deep and rich experience, told him of the cross of Christ in pardoning love. After three hours, Huxley's eyes filled with tears, and he put out his hand and said, If I could only believe that, I would be willing to give my right hand. What do you call that but intellectual bondage? Huxley was perhaps the greatest scientific enemy of Christianity in our generation. The same friend told me that again and again Mr. John Morley would come to him in the lobby of the House of Commons and put his hand in his and say, I want you to pray for me. I'm going to Ireland on important executive business and I want your prayers. But now, Morley is perhaps the leading literary agnostic today. What a pitiful picture. Two masterful minds so imprisoned by reason that they could not believe. Conscious of their need of God, and yet not knowing how to approach Him. A dying man once said to the writer, I know I ought to turn to God, but I have had my own way so long that now I lack the power to turn. I have lost control of my own will, and I must die as I have lived. The conclusion is this. Every student should accept Christ and do it now. If he waits five years, the chances are that he will never do it. Every year that he puts it off, he loses something of his capacity to discern spiritual truth and to feel its force. Besides, every day that he puts it off, he loses something he can never regain, and God himself cannot recover for him. He loses part of his possible destiny, part of that great inheritance of character and influence which God has provided for him in Christ Jesus, but which he can lose as surely by simple neglect as by a life of vice or crime. Every man wishes to make the most of himself. The only possible way to do this is to decide now. For every moment, some part of his inheritance is slipping away, never to be regained. Strictly speaking, it is now or never. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2